you will want to keep your Bibles open to that text, Ephesians chapter 3. The title of my message this morning is The Surpassing Love of the Risen Christ. The Surpassing Love of the Risen Christ. I said earlier in my greeting that as a church, our, our mission is to be worshiping God and welcoming all with gospel truth and neighbor love. And I said that near the beginning of our worship, I do hope and pray that you have tasted all of that already this morning. But now that we would taste it and feast on particularly the gospel truth of it part, we want to open God's Word. And we want to look at a text which, to be quite honest, as I look at it, I I wonder about my sanity a little bit in terms of choosing a text as wonderful and detailed and majestic and full as this text for one sermon. This, this deserves many sermons. This is so full that, that really every line of the text speaks to us. But it speaks to us and it speaks to us of a risen Christ who is alive and who lives in His people to fill them with a sense of His love. This this whole letter of Paul to the Ephesians is one that centers on the resurrection of Christ. We saw it back in chapter 1 and verse 19 where Paul wants us to know what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. God has raised up Jesus from the dead, and God has seated him at his right hand far above all things. And he has not only raised up Christ and seated Christ in glory, but he has raised us up and seated us with Christ in glory. That's what we read in chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul preached a risen Savior. Paul believed in and lived for and eventually died for a risen Savior. And we believe in and proclaim and live for and we trust God will give us grace if the time ever comes, be willing to die for a risen Savior. And in the meantime, until the day comes when we either die for Him and die, or die to go to be with Him, may it be that we will experience what this text is about in chapter 3. It's a text where every single phrase says something. Just, just follow along with me if you would. Starting in verse 14 of Ephesians 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. For Paul... Prayer is not a hesitant or a fearful attempt to somehow get a distant or angry God's ear, but rather is it a bold and an affectionate approach to a heavenly Father. 
who loves us. He is the Father, Paul says in verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That means that God is the Father. He is the loving source of every good family experience that has ever been known on this planet. And in verse 16, Paul says to this to this Father that God would do something according to the riches of His glory. Paul's prayer is that God would work in our lives in such a way that we will experience according to the measure of the riches, the wealth of the glory of God. And I don't know all that that is, but I know that's really going to be really good. That's amazing that the wealth of all that God is and God has, Paul says, I want you to experience something according to that. That, verse 16 says, according to his riches, the Father may grant you to be strengthened with power. Paul prays that God would make us strong. That God would make us mighty. That God would give us not just survival, get by, grin and bear it strength. But that He would give us mighty strength. He would strengthen us with power. The power that raised up Christ from the dead. That that would be ours. Which according to verse 16, will happen by His Spirit or through His Spirit in your inner being. The idea being that God is going to so fill us with His Spirit. Those of us who know Jesus and love Jesus are going to be so filled with His Spirit that our inner being, our inner person, even as the outer man is wasting away, even as our bodies give out and fail, the inner person is going to be strengthened. It's going to be made strong, not weak, empowered, not enfeebled, replenished, never depleted. Renewed, never drained. Mighty, not impaired. So that, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So that the risen and living Jesus may live in us. Making our hearts His home. That you, still in verse 17, That you being rooted and grounded in love. That you, that we as believers might have our hearts and our spirits planted in the soil of the amazing love of God. So much so that we would be nourished by that love. And then Paul says in verse 18, I want you to have strength to comprehend. Comprehend what? He's going to say the love of God. I want you to have strength to comprehend because brothers and sisters and friends, in order to comprehend, even begin to comprehend the love of God, in order to even begin to grasp it, even begin to understand it, you're going to need an infusion of strength from God because it is too vast. It is too great, it is too awesome, it is too mighty of a love for us to process in our own strength. And so he says, I pray that you'll have grace to comprehend it. And Paul says in that same verse that you will comprehend it with all the saints. So that this isn't just a lone ranger experience between you and Jesus. You know, just Jesus and me. No, it's Jesus and us. Jesus and the church. Jesus loving us and all of us together coming to comprehend more and more what His love for us is. It's a congregational thing. It's a family thing, which frankly makes it all the better. 
than just a personal thing. And then Paul prays that we would have strength to comprehend in verse 18 what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of God. May you have strength to comprehend that God's love is at least four-dimensional. It is broader than the galaxies. It is longer than 10 trillion light years. It, it is higher than the heavens. It is deeper than the oceans. And he wants us, Paul says, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Come again, Paul. I want you to know what you can't know. I want you to comprehend what you can't comprehend. I want you to grasp what you can't grasp. I want you, I want you to understand what you cannot understand. I want you to comprehend to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That or so that, verse 19, you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This, is, this, this does make your head begin to swim, doesn't it? So that, so that you will experience all of God's love and goodness and happiness, His fullness, His glory, His riches, His wealth, His honor, His blessing, His soul-satisfying, His thirst-quenching beauty, love, and mercy, that all of that would be poured into your heart, poured into our hearts to fill us up and overflow us with all that He is and all that He has. And so, verse 20, now to Him, to Him, which Him? The One who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask. To the One from whom we could ask and 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 ask again. And never get to the bottom. Never deplete the giving and the responding heart of God. To Him who is able to give far more abundantly than we ever ask or even think, Paul says. We can't even imagine the riches, the wealth, the love, the goodness, the blessings that God has in store for us. To Him. Paul says in verse 20, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And for how long? Throughout all generations, forever and ever. Throughout all time and throughout all eternity, May there be glory to God for the surpassing love of a risen Christ. And all God's people do say, Amen. Amen. I could sit down now. And all I did, all I did was simply run through this amazing passage. You can tell, I wasn't kidding when I said many sermons in this text. But let me, let me just highlight three or four quick thoughts for you so that there are perhaps the hooks of this text get into your heart just a little bit more and they, they grab you. How to receive God's love. 
how to measure God's love, how to better know God's love, and then what happens when we do know God's love. All right, so those are the four quick points, and they're going to be quick. First, how to receive God's love. The answer of the text is by faith in the indwelling Christ. Verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend the love of God. How do we receive God's love? How do we receive the kindness of God, the love of God? How do we experience it? You see, one of the things that we, all of us humans crave, there's really one thing we all crave, most of us just don't know it, But deep down inside of each of us and every one of us, there is a fundamental yearning, a craving to be loved and to be loved forever. And the only one who can do that is God. And so there is this craving, there is this yearning, there is this aching within the human heart for an experience of the love of God. We want the love of God. Even if we don't believe in God, we still want the love of God. We want to be loved. We want to be loved by the one who is able to love perfectly, who loves in a way that never fails, who loves in a way that never disappoints, who loves in a way that never betrays, who loves in a way that never quits. And that only one who can do that is God. And so we need to ask the question, how do we receive this? Paul says, it's by faith in the risen Christ, the indwelling Christ. We need to believe that Jesus is God's Son, His beloved Son. And we need to believe that He came here to earth to die for our sins, Good Friday. To, to be raised from the dead, to be victorious over sin, over the grave, over Satan, over the fear of death, over decay, over corruption, over ruin, over all the junk that's in this world. That He rose from the dead, that He was ascended to heaven to be Lord, that He is sitting on a throne. He is King. He is alive. He is reigning. He is Lord. And He's ruling and He's reigning until every one of His enemies has made His footstool. Until every last opposition to God, to Jesus, has been vanquished. And He sits on the throne and then He comes back. And He takes us to be with Him forever. Creating a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Where the lion and the lamb lay down together. And where there is no more sin and no more sorrow and no more suffering and no more death and no more more junk. Paul says, Christ must live in your heart by faith. You must believe this. You must receive this. It's not good enough just in some kind of abstract way to believe, okay, maybe he came back from the dead 2,000 years ago. No, you must believe it. You must receive it. You must know it to be true in your life. He must dwell. He who lives must live in you by faith. So does he? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? You come here wondering, come here questioning, come here uncertain. We're here to declare to you, He is risen, He is living, He is Lord. 
And he will take up his residence in your heart and in your life in such a way that you will come to know more and more deeply the surpassing love of God. So, so how do you receive God's love? By faith in Christ, so that he may dwell in you. How to measure God's love? That's a trick question. You can't measure God's love. That's the point of the text. You can try. You can use all the big words you can think of. You can use these big dimensional words. The breadth of God's love. I want you to know the breadth of His love. God's love has breadth to it. It is wide. It is broad. It may be that Paul has in mind here that it's broad enough to include anybody and everybody anywhere who will believe in Him. This love of God has length to it. It is long so that as far as you go and as long as you live, that love remains. It has height to it. God's love reaches far up to the highest heavens. The the heaven of heavens. It has depth to it. There are no sinful depths to which you can sink. There are no moral pits into which you can fall. There's no valley of trial so very deep that God's love is not there. There for you. It is long and wide and high and deep. You can tell Paul is, is grasping here, isn't he? He's, he's trying to figure out, how do I say this? How do I describe the indescribable? And, and he goes on in verse 19 and tells us it is, it is a love that surpasses knowledge. It transcends knowledge. I want you to know what you can't know because it transcends your capacity as a human being. Your brain cannot contain the measure of the love of God. Your brain cannot fathom it. Go ahead and try. But you're never going to get there. You'll understand it more, but you'll never understand it fully. And then Paul says in verse 20, it's a love that is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think. It's almost funny here. Paul, Paul coins a word. He takes the Greek word for abundance. And then he attaches a prefix to it that means super. The word abundance all by itself is pretty good, you know. He can do abundantly. But then he says, now, he can do super abundantly. And then he takes that prefix and turns it into a suffix so that it's super abundant, superly. (laughs) Beyond super abundance. To infinity and beyond. (laughs) All right? Which is impossible, of course. You can't go beyond infinity because infinity has no bounds. But Paul is saying what God is able to do is to infinity and beyond. There is no limit to it. There are no boundaries to it. This ocean has no shores. This ocean has no bottom. It is an infinite ocean of love. 
So you can ask and ask and ask. And you're never going to drain dry the reservoir of God's love. And you can imagine and imagine and imagine and think and conceive, oh, what could I possibly ever want for or long for or have? What could possibly make me happy? And then you realize you can't even imagine what God has in store for you. The surpassing love of the risen Lord. So, how do we measure His love? You can't. But enjoy the effort. Enjoy going deeper into the sweetness and the glory of it all. But how do we better know His love? We can't comprehend it. We cannot fully understand it. But how do we better know God's love? The answer is found in verses 14 and following. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. Verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner man, so that you may be rooted and grounded in love. How do we better know the love of God? Well, how does Paul help us to better know? He helps us to better know the love of God by praying that we would better know the love of God. Prayer is one means, there are others, one means that God uses to strengthen us to comprehend the love of Christ. A growing knowledge of and enjoyment of the love of Christ is in part a result of prayer. A growing knowledge of and enjoyment of the love of Christ is in part a result of prayer. Now I want you to notice what I did not say. I did not say that the surpassing love of Christ is a result of prayer. Did you you see the distinction? What did I say? A growing knowledge of and enjoyment of the love of Christ is a result of prayer. I did not say the love of Christ is a result of prayer. Christ's love for us has been fixed and firm and forever. He has always loved His people. We saw this back in chapter 1. He has chosen us in love from before the foundation of the world. Your prayer has nothing to do with the love of Christ except to help you get to know it better. There's the difference between religion and Christianity. This is the difference between just doing church. You see, religion says... That in order to get God to love you, you have to pray, and you have to give, and you have to obey the commandments, and you have to live right, and don't make any mistakes, and be moral, and, and then repeat. And don't fail, but then, oops, I failed, so start over, do it again, do it some more. And you pray, you give, you obey, you do the sacraments, you do penance, you do the whole works. Somehow hoping that in the end there'll be enough of that so that God will love you. That's religion. Christianity says no. God loves you with a surpassing love. God has always loved you. God has loved you so much He gave His Son for you. God has loved you with a a love that is ocean deep and beyond, that is infinite and beyond. He loves you already. Now let's pray that we will know that love better. 
And let's pray for each other. Let's pray for the suffering that are among us, the lonely that are among us. Let's pray for the widowed and the abandoned that they will know better the love of God. Let us pray for the guilty and the ashamed among us that they would better know the love of God. Let's pray for the outcast and the imprisoned and the wandering and the addicted that they will all better know the love of God. And let's pray for our own souls. Oh, Lord. In the midst of all the stuff going on around, we've all come in here this morning carrying, however many people are here, looks like close to 200 people are here or more. However many people are here, there are that many, there is that many set of burdens and sorrows and tears that have been carried. And may it be that God's infinite surpassing love will fill us And calm us and quiet us and comfort us. So let us pray so that we would know his love better. And finally, what happens when we better know God's love? What happens? Two things happen in the text. Verse 19, we get filled with the fullness of God. Verse 19, what does it say? To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. See the connection? As as you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you will be filled with the fullness of God. Knowing His love better fills us up with who God is. Now, I don't, I don't fully get that, friends. I don't fully grasp that. I, don't even be, I feel like I just barely begin to grasp it. What does it mean to be filled up with the fullness of God? I know it doesn't mean that I'm becoming God, or like the Hindus might think, or others might think. I I know it's not that I'm somehow becoming one with the one. Uh, it's It's not that. Somehow or other, though, He is pouring His fullness into me. Somehow or other, He is filling me up with His goodness. He is filling me up with His power. He is filling me up with His mercy. He is filling me up with the riches of the wealth of His glory. He is filling me up with the knowledge of who He is and what He is like. This is what the risen Christ dwelling in us does. He, he deepens our knowledge of His love and through that we grow in our knowledge and our fullness of the experience of all that God is. So, you know, this is about more than religion, right? This just go through the motions of praying and doing your thing. This, this is about somehow or other being in relationship with God in such a way that I experience God. That I taste and see that the Lord is good. That He is satisfying. That He is quenching to my thirst. That He is is the one and the only one who who can answer to my loneliness. He is the one and the only one who can give me the kind of love for which my soul craves. When we know better the love of God... We receive His fullness. And then finally, God receives glory. God receives glory. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory 
in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And isn't it true, child of God, you who know Jesus Christ, that there's something in that last doxology expression of praise that connects to your heart? Isn't it true that at the end of the day, there's really only one thing we care about? And that is that our great God of love and our great God and Savior get glory. That he get the credit, that he get the praise. Because at the end of the day, we've got nothing to do with this salvation. We didn't earn this love. We didn't deserve this love. In fact, we deserve the very opposite of that love. We deserve his wrath and his judgment because we were born in sin and have chosen the sin every day of our lives. We deserve none of this and yet we get all of this because of Christ. And so to him be glory. To him be glory. And understand this, that God's doing of all of this so that there would be glory for Him is not because He's some kind of glory hog or some kind of egotistical deity who just needs to be glorified. He doesn't need our glorifying Him. He was fine without us for all of eternity. He was doing okay, Father, Son, and Spirit. Sharing in the joy of the Trinity. He doesn't need us to glorify Him, to somehow fill up deficiency in Him. No, no, even this is an expression of His love. See, what God is doing in, his, in the gospel, in the person and work of Christ, in the pouring out of this love into our lives, is bringing us to a place where we worship where we glorify Him because it's in that place that we experience the deepest measures of joy. We are never happier than when we're praising God. We are never full of greater joy, greater delight than when we are seeing Him and sensing Him and realizing, oh, how good He is, how great He is. As John Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And we are most satisfied in Him when we are most glorifying Him. (laughs) When the joy and the wonder and the amazement and the gratitude And the overwhelming sense of this surpassing love of the risen Christ just fills us and fills us and fills us. And you can't keep it quiet. You know, people sometimes say, well, I I don't like going to church because everybody's wearing a smile on Sunday. They're looking happy when they're not. No, the reality is this is just the happiest day of the week. And it's the happiest day of the week because on this day we are able to focus in a way that we we find it hard to do the rest of the week. And on this day of the week we we kind of set aside the other distractions and we, we just stop and we pause and we think, wow, God has been good. And Jesus is alive. He is risen and He loves me. Yes, I'm going to smile. And I'm going to sing, and I'm going to celebrate, and I'm going to worship. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. He is the risen Lord who loves us with a surpassing love. And our prayer for you, each and every one of you, 
is that you would know what you cannot fully know. That you would more and more comprehend what is incomprehensible. This love of such a great God as this. I'm going to pray and then we're going to ask the, the band and the vocalist to return and to bless us again with the song sung earlier uh, so that we can close our worship to Him be glory now and forever. Let's pray. Oh Lord our God, will you please come and take all that has been sung and said and speak it deeply into our hearts so that we would know through the strength that you supply the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the surpassing love of Jesus. Amen.